0: everybody. This is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Chris Nielsen. And today's show is talking about your system is your how. And one of the things that I found over the years is that systems for me work really well with structured work. They don't work that great with creativity. And um, I want to talk to Chris today about systems because you know, we have systems everywhere, we have systems in our school districts, we have systems in our businesses, we have systems with our customers, you know, production lines, our systems, but we do a lot of repetitive work in our businesses, at least I do, Chris, and I find that systems in some respects make me feel in control and confident, but sometimes I feel like they're soul-crushing and they ruin my creativity, so... <laughs> I don't know where you want to go with that, but but that's what I want to talk about today.
1: Yeah, I, I think systems are actually brilliant, and yet it is actually one of my weaknesses, you know, when, and I recognize my weaknesses, and, and so it's great for me to have system people around me or use other people's systems that are working really well, and, you know, one of the systems that, to be creative on that part of it is to actually have a system to block time where you can be creative.
0: That's true. That's true. I've been trying to do these Friday, um, time blocking things for just thinking and they haven't gone so well as we're doing recordings on a Friday, (laughs) Not, not exactly doing my thinking time, but I've been on vacation with my kids at my dad's house, um, up in Canandaigua, New York. And last night I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm just thinking. You know, having this aha moment that I wasn't on the way to do something, thinking about a project, you know, constructing something, trying to navigate, looking at my phone, you know, planning things. I literally, it was like nine o'clock last night, Chris, I'm looking out at the water, enjoying the waves, looking at the moon. And I'm thinking, wow, all I'm doing is thinking and not thinking in a business structured, you have to figure this out kind of way.
1: Right. 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 Absolutely. And, you know, when I think some of the best ideas come to me when I'm riding a bike, going for a walk, sitting on the beach, um, on a vacation, uh, taking a shower. So when Those are some of the best ideas, you know, uh, whether it's a company or if you're in your family, get get that time, create that free time as part of your system, if you're systematizing things.
0: Yeah, I think... Yeah, sticking to it is really hard. I'm I'm not real good at sticking to some things, Chris. I ended up, you know, when I turned 50, I became a certified spin instructor for my gym. And part of it was I kept punting my workouts when I had work to do, or if I felt the pressure to get something done. And even though my client's anxiety can't become my anxiety, they did, you know, when they're stressed out and they call you and go, you know, I need to get this book proposal done and it needs to go out Monday. And I'm like, why? Well, cause it makes them feel better, but sometimes I do adopt their anxiety. And so I'll go, well, you know, I could finish it tonight if I don't go to the gym So I was really punting that, you know, off of my schedule. So I thought, well, what if I got certified? What if I have to teach the class? Then it's work. And now I teach five classes a week and it's really good because I don't even have to think about my workouts anymore. They're automatic. They're in my calendar and I get paid for them. So it was kind of a way to rope myself in because I know myself. If there's something that needs to be done, even if the kitchen's a mess, I will stay and clean the kitchen top to bottom, but not go to the gym.
1: Now, that's awesome. that you, And I think uh, one of the biggest things you can do for yourself, you know, when I'm coaching, and usually now these days I'm coaching executives or um, speakers or presenters, and, when I, and, and they're also parents, so or it's our whole life. So when I coach, try to set up an environment, I say, of inevitable success, just like you did there. When you're getting paid to do it, you know <laughs> you're going to show up to do it. Right. And for workouts, how do you make a workout fun? How do you make a workout, you know, you recognize all these distractions. For me, when I was, uh, you know, when uh, my daughter and I were in different locations, she was with her mother, I was at a different location, I actually decided to rent a place that was halfway between her and the gym. Because I don't, I didn't didn't want an excuse not to go, never an excuse not to go see her like it's too far and I didn't want an excuse not to go work out that that was too far as well. And, you know, working out of the home, that was my choice. Yep. And, and, you know, one of the things I share and it was shared to me by someone else is that um, I'm not stronger than a chocolate chip cookie. Oh, definitely. Like it's kryptonite, man. Yes. If it's in my house, it's like calling to me, Chris, Chris, I'm here. Chris, um, Join I'm with ooey, ooey, chewy, delicious. Yes, let's become one. We were meant to be, and uh, but I can outsmart them when I control the environment. Now I'm in my parents' house today at the lake in northern Minnesota, and they bring those things in, and they call me.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, right now I can tell you, my dad has um, ice cream sandwiches, and they're my favorite as a kid. And they're like the, not the fancy kind, the cheap like store brand, you know, that are like two pieces of cardboard sandwiched between. And yeah. I just love them. And, you know, it's it's hard when your, your systems, you're right, you have to create the environment around your systems. But I think most of us today, Chris, you know, the word from 20 years ago was telecommuting. Remember when everybody's like, Ooh, we're going to telecommute. Well, yeah. now what I see is people working everywhere they can, everywhere they want to be. You know, with the advent of the internet and all these great, you know, apps and programs, I actually end up doing more of my work on my phone, Chris, than I do at my, and I have this beautiful office in my home, you know, beautiful sound studio, big, great, big screens, nice chair, nice everything. And I'm rarely in there. Because I can go, like right now, I can be in New York at my dad's place, hanging with my family, doing my job.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. You know, my phone is, uh, I do a ton of work here, too. You know, it has all my emails on it, um, LinkedIn application on it. It has uh, all the things I need. Now, it has all those distraction things on it, too. And that might be (laughs) taking some of those off. Um, So So I travel a lot for what I do, you know, speaking and training. And sometimes I don't even open my laptop. I take my laptop on these trips and sometimes I don't even open them because I'm using the phone the whole time.
0: It's true. It's true. You know, Chris, you mentioned LinkedIn um, and I want to talk about them today because they are actually sponsoring our show and making our show possible. So we want to thank LinkedIn and hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. I mean, when you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where I think, Chris, the LinkedIn um, system comes in because they have some really cool things on there. If you haven't checked it out, go to linkedin.com slash coach talk radio. Uh, they're running a promotion right now at linkedin.com slash coach talk radio. You get $50 off your first job post and terms and conditions apply. But the reason I want you to go there is that they have these really cool features. Number one, they have this targeted job promotion and It allows you to service your candidates with the right skills, both in emails and across LinkedIn. You also have these recommended matches, and the recommended matches are really cool because it just makes your job so much easier. And then the last thing that they have on there, I mean, they have lots of other things, but these are the things that I really think are cool and I like about it, is that you have this candidate management dashboard and that tracks your candidates from application to hire all in one place. And that's really important for somebody like me who likes systems, who likes to be organized, but maybe isn't naturally organized. And did you know that over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities? And that's how they make sure your job posts get in front of the right people with the right skills and the soft skills to meet your role requirements. So things like collaboration and work ethic, adaptability. LinkedIn does all this legwork to match you with the most qualified candidates. So you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. And this, I think, is amazing, Chris, when you think of, like, third world countries, 35 million job seekers visit LinkedIn jobs every month. Like that's like its own country. So to get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash coach talk radio. Again, that's linkedin.com slash coach talk radio to get $50 off your first job post. And like anything, terms and conditions apply. Isn't that phenomenal when you think about the sheer number of people on LinkedIn?
1: It's incredible. I actually like when you talk systems earlier, I do LinkedIn as part of my system too. It's um, on the app on the phone is very easy to use. It's actually, I mean, I love using it there and the connections, you know, I've gotten work through LinkedIn. So I mean, I'm a fan of LinkedIn.
0: Oh, me too, me too. I I get new clients, I get sponsors, I get a lot of listens for my radio shows. I mean, they're really a fantastic company Um, and they've made it simple. And that's what I think systems are meant to do. They're meant to simplify our lives. And one of the things you also mentioned, you said you're up in mini um, with your family.
1: Pardon me? Northern Minnesota, yeah. Northern
0: Minnesota, okay. So Northern Minnesota, um, like Duluth.
1: Um, it 's ninety miles uh, west of Duluth,
0: I love Duluth. I have a fascination with Duluth because I have all these rocks from the Iron Range when I was up there. Yeah. <laughs> I collect rocks from all over, and I just I think it 's a beautiful part of the country yeah, um, it 's
1: a gorgeous city
0: but so you 're there i 'm there and i brought I traveled in tow with my thirteen year old and my fifteen year old so we we brought a PlayStation and um, we brought scuba gear, you know, all this kind of stuff for us to use up here and life jackets, because my son is now my son that you taught, we talked about on my show two years ago is now six, five wow. at age 15 with a size 16 foot. So good luck fitting him into a life jacket. So, you know, I got him a special life jacket that works for him so he can water ski and, and sail. Um, Just to get here, Chris, took me like three big L.L. Bean duffel bags. Wow. You know, because we need to have, you know, it's cold. You know, you guys get, you get the cold, you know, the cold water and the cold nights sometimes. And so Mm -hmm. I have the system for packing that takes me two weeks. I take the three suitcases that we're taking. They're just big L.L. Bean duffels. One for each of us. And then as I go through my day running around the house doing whatever, I throw stuff in the bags <laughs> that I know need to go. And I need to lay them in my living room like three weeks out because we want fins, we want snorkels, we want. And yeah. every year it's different because the kids grow differently. And every year my work packing, because I come for a couple weeks, so I really need to move my base of operations. And years ago, I used to have to bring, like, I remember my rolling carry-on had like three laptops. You know, it had a Mac, it had a PC, it had, you know, and and all these different devices. And I'm much more simplified now with technology because of the systems that I use. And everything's gotten more compact and bundled and smaller. But even then, I was looking for a, um, a printout. And, you know, it was the dumbest thing, Chris. I couldn't find it on my email. I didn't upload it in Dropbox before I left. And I could see that printout in my head. And I don't know, it evaporated somewhere, you know, <laughs> in the ethos of the internet. And even then, with three weeks prep, I still didn't get it right.
1: Right. Well, it, look, systems, uh, no system is perfect. <laughs> and And for me, having a checklist now, I think that's one of the best things with systems. And I don't always do it. But a checklist, I usually do it before I pack and travel, is here's all the things I want, and tick them off as they go in. And then usually I'm pretty good to go. You know, otherwise I've, when I'm early in the morning, I can forget stuff, you know, super early in the morning, making a flight, that's when I can forget something.
0: Oh, early in the morning, late at night, in the afternoon. I mean, it's kind of like, I have to go through what our, like, like shut off is because you know you have to go through your house I gotta I gotta set up the pool you know for beyond vacation service I've gotta you know shut the laundry water off and the hot water heater off and then I have three dogs Chris and the three dogs I can't I don't like to leave them alone in the house while I'm gone because I do live in the mountains and we do have coyotes and you know and I've got like a little chicken nugget dog that's his name he's a little fat <laughs> chicken nugget yeah, chicken nugget, Sophie, Peanut, and Sally. Uh, Sally's my golden retriever. She's probably the only one who could stay out at night and feel reasonably safe. So I end up sending each dog to a different location um, because they're compatible with my friends' dogs. You know, yeah. they one group likes the the golden, and one loves the chihuahua, and then yeah. Sophie's just mean as sin. She's oh this cranky old 15 year old dog. And, you know, she doesn't like to be out in the heat, you know, who does, if you're like 95 and dog. And so I have to get her to another location. So it's like dog transport the day before we go. And then the day of is like kid transport. And, um, you know, it's phenomenal the number of things that I have to do. And I do have a checklist, but I find that it, It's good for certain things like five pairs of socks, five pairs of, you know, swim trunks, five T-shirts, that kind of thing. But it's the, the most critical things that I end up forgetting or things that die. Like my battery. I have like this wonderful big fat battery and it died on the airplane.
1: Yeah.
0: And you just can't prepare for
1: those things. Sometimes you can prepare to be unprepared. And that, that's why, you know, improv in my background has helped me relax about when things happen. It's like it, your battery cr- puts you uh, on a new adventure <laughs> to go find another <laughs> battery instead of making it bad. You know, we're human beings. We're meaning making machines and we often make things negative. And, it, you know, one of my sayings that I, I use in, in some of the talks I give and other things is you, quit, you can't have a romantic comedy without a bad assumption true. And so we're making meaning all the time. And I, and you know, my dad, when I was a kid said to me, Chris, there's no limit to self-deception and I'm sure he was pointing to something I was doing, <laughs> <laughs> but I could see it in him too. In that statement, um, human beings, we have the unlimited ability to deceive ourselves. And I think that came from Buckminster Fuller, uh, an original quote: human beings have the unlimited capacity to, to deceive themselves. Otherwise we wouldn't sleep at night out of that. I say this. So now if you're going to be delusional and we're all pretty delusional in some way, at least be positively delusional.
0: Yes, (laughs) that's true. That's true. I mean, I think sometimes I look at them as a challenge, like, okay, I'm ready to go. Like, go ahead, universe, throw at me what you want. And then there's other times which I'm like, really like this, really?
1: Oh yeah. And and you talked about it earlier and you know, I study why we do different things and adults, um, here's another thing I share is adults would make horrible babies. (laughs) And why I say that is we'd be walking and we fall down and we got all this walking stuff isn't for me. I'm no good at walking. Right. Too much of a struggle to learn how to do this. Just carry me to where I need to go. Right. And, but what it is when we're struggling, we're learning something new. So if you're if you're adding systems, if you're adding checklists, if you're adding something, if you're creating a better environment for yourself, no, it may be a struggle at first, but if you keep at it, it's going to get easier and easier and easier.
0: That's true. I mean, it's funny, Chris. You talk about you know, like if we were babies, like adults were babies, we would never do anything. Um, I went to Northwestern University for my undergrad and grad work, and by the time I was 21, I was done. So I hadn't taken a real test. <laughs> in anything other than, you know, some little things that I wanted to take until I had to take this fitness instructor. Mm-hmm. And then they had like a hundred questions and it was a time test. Chris, I got blotchy, you know, I was, my dad was out visiting cause I take care of him September through, um, a May in California in my house. Cause we just add to the fun. Um, and I had that time test. And it was like starting at six o'clock and I had to log on. And I kept thinking like, nothing is worse than this, Chris. Like I was so stressed out. I had big blotches all over my neck and I hadn't taken a real test. I couldn't remember how long. Yeah. And I, this was by choice and I had to study, you know, I did the full fitness, you know, um, examination and, you know, I had books and I had highlights and I had printed out the whole like, Cheat sheet study manual, which was like 35 pages long. It was color-coded, it was highlighted, it was tabbed. I was like, all right, you were prepared. This. And I did. I got like a 96, so I was happy. But then I had to go back and find out what four I missed. Because I didn't <laughs> care about the 96 I got right. I cared about what I got wrong. Yeah. But that whole process was so stressful for me. And I made it stressful. No one, no one was holding a gun to my head. It wasn't like my parents paid some big fat chunk of money for an education and I had to pass or I would disgrace the family. This was self-induced. And I realized, like, for the last probably 10, 12 years, I've just been doing everything I'm good at mm-hmm. and not doing the things I'm not. Right. And then not really trying a whole lot of new things. I mean, I guess divorce is a new thing.
1: That
0: was a, that was a big one for me.
1: Well, You make such a, a huge point there that I, I use with a lot of people is that um, the, the growth fixed mindset stuff that I talk about a lot of times, the, the fixed mindset, when we fail, we are the failure. And I had that a lot in me until you know I, I worked on it significantly. And I highly recommend Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. Um, amazing book. Um, it was life-changing for me uh, to see that, you know, that I, I was a really good test taker, but I'd be nervous pretty much every test I took um, because I realize if I fail, I'm the failure in a lot right. of the training rooms from CEOs that I work with down to even when I talk to young kids, I go point to the most dangerous person in the room to you. The teacher, and the teacher. No, he has the you. power to fail you. It's you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> It's so even CEOs. I love in groups when it's when people point to the boss and the boss kind of freaks out when four or five of them point into them. But that we are dangerous to ourselves. It's like with bowling. If someone called, "Hey Chris, you're an idiot," and I go, "Yeah, I'm kind of an idiot," Um, or I went, "Or I went, uh, no, I'm not an idiot." Either way, and it's done, no big deal. But if I said, "Oh my gosh, I am kind of an idiot," I do a lot of stupid things. My parents think I'm an idiot. My teachers think I'm an idiot. My classmates think I'm an idiot. My brother, you know, no one likes me. If I, you do that and you'd say that 10,000 times, those are the like, things.
0: were you in my head when I got divorced? <laughs> <'Cause I'm> like,
1: <laughs> we are, we are so programmed. like the top 10. Yeah. We are so programmed in this. I'm here's one of the big programs in society. And inoculate yourself against it. Inoculate your kids against it. I'm not good enough, or you're not good enough as you are. You're not good enough with the clothes you wear, um, what you look like, whatever your face looks like, how many pimples you have, whatever it is, you're not good enough. So you buy stuff you really don't need, mm-hmm. and that programs that and it gets in. And we go, why do I feel so horrible? Yeah. If you turn on mass media, it's always telling you you're not good enough. Well,
0: I think it starts even bigger than that, Chris. Like, do you have brothers and sisters?
1: I have one brother, yeah.
0: And where are you in the dynamic? Are you older or younger? I'm the older. Okay, so then you won't get this because you're the older. i the <laughs> younger, and I'm the younger down by three. And so you have, I think it starts, at least for me, it started much earlier than that, and I see it in my younger brother. Now, my younger brother's a NASA rocket scientist. He's no slouch. You know, I'm pretty successful. I'm no slouch, but when i look in comparison to my big brothers and sisters i will never be enough like i'll never be them like you know when you're when you're 10 and your sister's 16 and she can drive like it's you're always chasing as a little and i find um I think it's what made me really competitive in sports, Chris. And I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, athletics in my life. They've always been my go-to place, but if I wanted to play with my brothers, I had to be the goalie on the hockey pond. If I wanted to play with them, I had to be the guard in basketball just so they could run around me and feel good about themselves. So (laughs) you know, those things, those dynamics, I think, start at play for some of us much younger, even before, like, honestly, Chris, I was raised in the sticks. And then I went to Northwestern was a big city experience for me. And then from there, went to work in Beverly Hills with some of the most rich, famous, successful people in the world. And I, I never felt as bad about myself as I did when I worked there. Because I didn't know there was anything wrong with the way I looked. I didn't know there was, you know, all these things, you know, kind of piled on. But I think for some of us, those ideas of you're not good enough or you're always playing catch up start much younger than just media.
1: Oh, the, the what I say this is even if you didn't show your kid any media, like let's say you had a household that was completely blacked out. As soon as they met another kid, that experience it, they're going to get secondhand, I'm not good enough. Because they're going to go, oh, you're wearing those shoes to school? Those shoes aren't cool. You're wearing that shirt? That's so right. old. If Even if you, and plus parents, well-meaning parents, were indoctrinated and in, I'm not good enough. Yeah. And unless you're fully conscious about it, and I'm, I work on it, I'm not fully conscious about all the ways that it's, it's affected me. Um, Unless you're going to get that all over the place, you get I'm not good enough from well meaning parents out in the sticks with no media because we've been programmed in that same program. Unless you've pulled it out completely, and I don't know maybe one human being on the planet that I know that maybe has done that, but I don't know anyone else that has done that. You think
0: it's just human nature? Is it just what we do and we just have to be
1: conscious of it? I'm not good enough program. I don't think it's human nature, but I could be wrong. I think it's pervasive now. Um, I think to see differences in other human beings is human nature. I mean, part of our survival was, oh my gosh, it it was dangerous to see someone different than you. So you got a little nervous when you saw someone different. And I think that leads to some negative things now. But if you bring some consciousness to that, um, yeah, they're different than me. And that's okay. The more we bring down our judgments of others, the better we bring down our judgments of ourselves.
0: Yeah, well, I think I I think about like when my kids were little, and I had the the luxury of having a um, when I got divorced, Chris, my kids were three months and two and a half years old. So um, my nanny, who needed she had, she was a single mom too, moved in with us. And so did her niece. So we were kind of like Kate, Allie, and Allie. <laughs> and you know, it was interesting because we all had a bunch of kids, so we could watch them at certain times. And I remember there was some Dora game on the on the TV. And my <clears throat> son Zach, who was about three, and Diana, who was two and a half three, were standing there and they were playing this Dora matching game, you know, on the TV. Mm-hmm. And Zachy got it right. And so he looked at Diana and kind of smirked. And then the next two or three Diana got right. She smoked them. And he got so mad he shoved her down. Like, and I just remember this, like, "Hey, we don't hit girls," and "Hey, you know," kind of thing. But it was that young that it was like, "Hey, you're better than me." I don't like that.
1: Uh, yeah, b- b- well, school puts us against each other, and and you look at success in success from the dawn of time is because human beings work together. I mean, we're much more vulnerable than a lot of the other animals: bears, lions, tigers, right. But- we're elephants. We're way more vulnerable than them. Um, but it's because we work together as human beings, we we thrive. Now, school pits us against each other mm-hmm. for the most part, except for school sports. That's when I think sometimes school sports or band or choir or um, some artistic thing where people work together, that teaches sometimes better life skills in the school itself, teaching you how to... Uh, compete against other kids in school mm-hmm. because I love what this one college professor said. There's no cheating in my class. And here's what I mean by cheating. If someone asks you for help and you don't help, that's cheating. <laughs> if, if you have, you can open your book. That's not cheating. You know, if the answers are that my purpose is for you guys to learn and help each other. Right.
0: Right. I, you know, I had a very unpopular experience. I taught at USC for a couple of years and a lot of the teachers disagreed with what the the way I was teaching. And I'm like, I gave everybody, I didn't hand it to them, but I gave them very clear instructions of what would be on each test. And I need you to memorize it because it was a spitback class. You know, it was more about, you know, spitting back knowledge rather than manipulating knowledge and making something new out of it. Mm -hmm. And they were like, how come you're going to give them that information? And I'm like, this is what's required for the class. This is what I expect them to master at the end. Yeah. I don't want them mastering something from chapter six that isn't in the required curriculum. You know, we're teaching towards a, you know, what are we teaching for? Are we teaching for knowledge? Are we teaching for grade? Are we teaching for, you know, what really, cause I designed the curriculum. So I designed the curriculum for what I wanted. If, if my students mastered all of these points, And it was a business ethics class of all things. Mm -hmm. If they could master these things and and have that awareness going on in life, I'm good with that. You get an A. And so I ended up giving like 17 out of 25 students an A. Well, that's not the curve. Yeah. You know, that's not right. You can't have that. And I'm like, why would we purposely create a system? You know, we talk about systems is our educational system supposed to be something where when they talk about no kid left behind a hundred percent A's like, that's what we want. We want people to get a hundred percent A's or master the information that we think that they need to, especially in a business ethics class. Like I want everybody getting an A coming out there. I'm not going to unleash you guys on wall street. We saw what happened in like 1985, 86 when you know people are unleashed without ethical consideration in our markets. Um, But that's where systems, you know, we have to examine our systems, not only for ourselves, but for the companies that we work with and work for, what are the systems really designed to do? And if they're designed to promote creativity, to get people to want to come to work, to give their best efforts, that's not a lot of the systems that I see in play in a lot of companies today.
1: Yeah, you you in what you said. You made a ton of great points that we could take a ton of tangents on. But what the one thing, the big thing that I get from that is that, yeah, a lot of systems don't produce what we wanted to produce. Yet we're so we marry ourselves to that system that we won't change it. Right. It's like I, I see businesses all the time, um, and, and, and here's one of the areas that I teach too: is um, we say we know that fail, le- failure leads to success can't succeed unless you're not willing in you're willing to fail but most people aren't willing to fail they don't own that businesses don't own it CEOs don't own it especially CEOs when they reach a certain level of success failing becomes even more dangerous it seems to them right absolutely and businesses don't create a systemized safety net for their employees to safely fail right now, I'm not going to go to my airline pilot, you know, dare to fail today or yeah. my dentist or whatever you're going to. So there's are certain areas you don't want to, you want to fail ahead of time so you don't fail in the crucial moment. Like right. fail in the simulator. Um, but create systems in your business or your life where it's safe, if it's in your life, for your kids to fail. Then they can really excel. Create systems in um, business where your employees can fail in creative ways and you'll have amazingly innovative companies.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, my tech and my, my um, military background, I wasn't in the military, but I worked with, with the Marine Corps for 25 years and I was also a military contractor. I like the idea of forced failure you know, like when you're training fighter pilots, I don't know if you know what the dunker is. It's like a, it's a cockpit that's on a crane. And what they do is they put the pilots in there and they spin them around and Mm. then they plunge them into the deep end of a pool and they are disoriented and they have safety divers, rescue divers that are in there. But they literally whip this thing around and then it's dark and they plunge it in the deep end of a pool and the pilots have to extricate themselves, get themselves out of the cockpit, you know? And so they, they train them to crash. Yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom in that because, you know, you think of Sully who landed, I come from a family of pilots. I could go on with like airline war, but, but you look at Sully who landed the plane on the Hudson when everybody said he couldn't you know it's statistically impossible well apparently not and you know you can go back to the 10 minute mile or 5 minute mile or 4 minute mile all these things that you know we think are not but one of the things i think that working in technology for me has done it has made failure just another outcome because especially in tech chris you know and i have a tech background that's really what my skill set is um When you fail in a program, you often create a new program. (laughs) You create a new, you know, you go back to the chocolate chip cookie, you know, the chocolate chip cookie, one of the greatest failures in history. Um, But a lot of our failures are just an unexpected outcome or a different outcome than what we were seeking. Doesn't mean they're good and bad. And I have sold templates that I've created for clients that were abject failures, one of my best selling templates that I created um, many years ago for a company who hated it. They fired me. They thought it was terrible. So I put it on, you know, one of these resellers and I've made like, I don't know, fifteen, eighteen thousand $18,000 on this ugly, awful template, you know, <laughs> that nobody liked. So I could have gotten the five or six grand from the company initially, or I could continue to make money in residuals every time people buy this. Like, so How do you define that as a failure? At the moment, it was a failure when I got fired and I was insulted and I walked away like, you know, feeling like a whipped dog. But then I was like, you know, I think this is really good. And I put it up, you know, on some of these reseller sites that resell my my work when they're either expired or clients don't want it. And I'm like, I've made more money. Mm -hmm. So tell me, was it a failure or a success?
1: right uh, Sandra, a ton of wisdom again sharing in that so we could play with that for another hour too is <laughs> that, um the way we look at things you know makes us it's our meaning making machine again makes us miserable or happy depending on how we look at it if we call it a failure and worse if we call ourselves a failure because that's often what we do if we fail now we're the failure and i love your resilience that you you showed there Someone fires you. You felt like a whipped dog and yet you put it out again. Most people, that's a big difference. Most people will never put it out again. Um, Because they've been told no. I mean, I talk about this. No being the most dangerous word in the world. Mm -hmm. According to a couple of psychologists that did a study, they flashed no to people in an fMRI scanner and about a dozen stress producing hormones were produced in the body. Sure. Sure. people handle it differently. You didn't say, hey, this is the worst thing ever and throw it away and never look back at it. Well,
0: to be fair, I did for a couple days.
1: Okay. But but you came back to it.
0: Yeah. Because I kept going, wait a minute, but this is really good. And then I'm like, well, I know more than they do about web design. I know more about functionality. I know more about aesthetics. And I kept going back in my head of going, Who's the expert? Like this is the weird thing, Chris. That you know, we talk about, you know, kind of creating your reality with your own thoughts. I'm hired as an expert to do a job. The client doesn't like it, but the client produces tree sap. Like, you know, not 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 web. So why are they qualified? Like, did they not like it for whatever reason? Is up to them. And that's where I had to put some boundaries up and go. Just because they didn't like it, the tree sap people. The saps is what I call them now, but the saps didn't like my work, but that didn't mean my work didn't have value. And that's where I think in tech, um, you go to create something. Cause the neat thing too, about tech, Chris is sometimes people will call me and go, is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? And I'll be like, no, it's not done yet. And they'll be like, why? And I'm like, because it never existed before in human history. <laughs> Give me a couple days.
1: Right, that's good. And you look at too from the science background, there isn't a failure. There's just a result. Right, a different outcome. Yeah, and and you go, oh, that wasn't the outcome I expected. Um, what are the variables I could change maybe to get the outcome, or, or maybe that's a better outcome than I expected? It's yeah. just outcome, and we label our, all these different things, and we make ourselves feel bad for it. You know, I I do a lot of experiential training with companies, leadership teams sales teams uh just team building and i was in this training and they they wanted this amazing race type situation and so and we were at this resort in canada and there was canoes and i said Do you want to use the canoes and i said if you use the canoes there's a chance someone gets wet and they go yeah let's let's use the canoes and um in fact i think four or five of the eight teams turned their canoe over awesome and and, and that's what i said too but the, I didn't know who one of the top people in the, in the group was, and she was freaking out by it. They were wet and cold. Yet I'm, I'm thinking inside until that moment, this is going to be one of the best debriefs ever. We get to fail here and just get wet versus fail and lose a store, lose a key right? employee, wreck a brand, lose you know, our lives, lose our lives. We get to fail in this way. And so, I was looking forward to this incredible debrief of what we learned from this. And yet she cut off the group right at that point. And I look at, look at my failures in that. I didn't know who the most important person in the room was or the area was. I didn't ask her expectations. I didn't go to her and say, Hey, um, I did to the other person that I talked to. I said, this is canoe race. People are going probably going to get wet. If I would have done that to her and said ahead of time, set the context ahead of time, I'd said, hey, there could be canoes that tipped over. Are you going to be good with that? And if she said no, I said, well, here's the advantage of actually if they do, there are so many lessons that come out of it. And at least I would have known ahead of time. Yeah, but and- then
0: you're asking yourself to be a magician in creskin. <laughs> I mean, because quite frankly, those canoes could have not tipped over. If I was in your group, I probably would have tipped over somebody else's canoe, just got my paddle over there you <laughs> know, to have a little fun. Yeah. Um, but the point is that you, you, you couldn't know all those things. And in hindsight, yeah, you probably should have asked those things. But at the end of the day, are we employees training in resilience? Or are we snowflakes?
1: Well, you're right. And, and then what I get, the people that say, you know, I'm in the, we'll stay out of political, but the people that call other people snowflakes, I think they're probably the most snowflakey there are because it's, you've got to bubble who you listen to. <laughs> I can't listen to anyone else, but one. <laughs> What you're telling me uh, because this is the truth that I got to believe. It's like, we're so attached. Um, one of the, my favorite exercises that I do with corporations now is this and in all groups. Um, I say we have a truth detector in us. Like I don't mean when listening today, I think you have a truth detector or a BS detector in you and you, go, Oh, I don't like what Chris is saying right there. Um, good I mean take it for you and tell me about it because I say this I give people you know a foam ball and say throw it at me if you think I'm telling you a lie or bs and and I actually like it now and I used to be someone that hated to be wrong but hated to be wrong hating to be wrong is an incredible burden especially in the day and age of google Yeah. (laughs) oh my that's not right chris they can pull it up any second um it was such a burden to draw uh, such a lightning of my burden to drop the need to be right. Yeah. And so now throw it at me because I love to learn. I've gotten that school didn't completely beat it out of me. I love to learn. So if, if you're telling me I'm wrong, let's see where I'm wrong in this situation. See,
0: I think that's so cool because we all have these, these things in us that are really hard for us. For me, Chris, it's, and I tell this you know, like now I can own it. I couldn't own it when I was younger cause I was more embarrassed by it. Um, but I'm me and my kids are tested on the spectrum for Asperger's. Mm-hmm. So now it's okay to have it, you know, 10, 12 years ago, not so okay. Um, and so now I get to tell my clients up front, and this is my opening spiel. I'm like, look, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I don't mean to be rude. A lot of times if you ask me something and you ask me off the cuff, I'm not going to have time to prepare it to make it nice for you. And I don't mean anything by it. I've made a general cry, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just the way I'm built. It's just the way I made. And if you can work with me that way, then I can do a better job for you. Because I found Chris, especially in tech, Tech people can sometimes talk over people's heads or or be really rude. I mean, honestly, we live in our own little computer world. And it was a big deal for me to come on the radio. Um, and I like it because I can't see people most of the time. I do better that way. And if I don't have to worry about hurting your feelings, I can do a much better job. But that burden of going, how am I going to say this? How am I going to place this? you know, that your stuff sucks and it's not going to work and there's no hope of fixing it. So let's just kill it now and start over. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't want to hear that. Some people do, but 90% of them cry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I say this too. Um, I mean, I was oblivious to a lot of things and um, improv changed my life. And I asked people what what the two word um, basic principle of improv is to say yes and add something to it. And I say I was a no but kind of guy. You'd share your great idea, and I I'd say no but I got a better way to do it. And no, and, but, no and, but no but no but. And in many rooms, I ask you now, how many love someone that says no but? And occasionally, there's you know small handful in some rooms, and some there's no one. But if you're looking to grow, and someone has a better idea, why not be open to it? Yeah. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't always open to hearing something different. I remember arguing about something in the middle of the argument. I knew I was wrong, but I couldn't admit I was wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, you're what I call in my world a plant killer because I grew up in corn country. And yeah. I remember when I was a little girl, the little corn shoots would come up and they'd be so tender and green and pretty and they would just poke out from the soil. Yeah. And then every once in a while, I don't know why my brothers would do this, they'd stomp on it. Like just stomp it dead. Yeah. And I carried that image throughout my life because When you're in tech, it's a lot of, well, what if we did this? What if we tried that? What if, what if is a big word in tech? Like, what if we, what if we, what if we did this? Um, Because it's always about problem and solution. And there's no precedence a lot of times for some of these solutions. So what if, what if, and whenever a corn killer would come in, he would be somebody, he's the no-butt guy, would come in and stomp that idea dead before it had a chance to grow. And a lot of really good ideas I think are killed and everybody can experience this. You know how you see something on TV and you go, Oh, I wish I had thought of that or, Oh, I kind of thought about that, but I never took it out to the production degree. Right. You know, it's just, it's fascinating. You know, we can be our own corn killers and just step on our own little plants.
1: We are. And we do it all the time. That's why, again, we're the most dangerous person to us. We are. I, I ask people in rooms, raise your hand if you're critical of yourself. And most, it's 70% and up in most rooms that are very critical of themselves. And you're right. In tech, you want to create an environment, again, a safe environment where people can risk and fail. And and if, they, if you do that, innovation is going to happen. You know, one of my new talks is innovate or die. Because they're predicting that a big chunk of the Fortune 500 companies are going to be gone in 10 years. I believe it. Because they're not going to innovate fast enough because we're in the world of artificial intelligence, robotics, things are moving at such a rapid pace.
0: Well, and you have to be able to fail. Like I know a lot of people talk about tech people being so insecure and so nerdy and introverted and whatever. But the one thing I'll say is tech people are really good at failure because 99 times out of 100, the things we do don't work. They just don't. And you have to keep trying and trying and trying until you make it work. You talk to, you know, you wonder why we're all cranky all the time, you know, just problem solving, you know, on a spreadsheet or in a, in like a style sheet is so frustrating and you have to be able to fail. You have to be able to be wrong. I don't, I have never met tech people. I've met tech people who are adamant they're right. But most of us have a really good meter on being wrong. You have to.
1: Yeah. But what I would encourage those tech people that are so good at being wrong in their uh, professional life to also bring that into their personal life. Oh, yeah.
0: That's not, that doesn't work.
1: (laughs) It doesn't work. It doesn't. See, we don't translate. There's so much brilliance out there that you can see if we have the self-awareness to transfer it to other areas. If you allow yourself to be wrong in all kinds of areas and other people to be wrong, Um, bring that compassion. And and the one thing I think will change the world, self-compassion. Yeah. You know, if you are, start being nice to yourself, it's easier to be nice to other people. True. Because we're judging ourselves as constantly being wrong. And it's, you know, even judging, comparison, making comparisons to other people, that makes us miserable. Unless we're, people walk in the room and I used to walk in a room and go, I think I'm better than that person and that person, that person. Or I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as, and, and it would change how I feel versus walking in the room, making no comparisons, being comfortable with who I am right now. That was powerful.
0: Wow. See, and I would walk in the room and go, Oh my God, I hope they don't find
1: out what I'm really like. (laughs) Well, people do that too. And you know what, for, for that, I go to make a connection. And this is one of my, I call it compass questions that points you to what's really important. And it works in leadership. It works in every relationship. Are you connecting? Or are you disconnecting? Right. When we're connected to someone, they want to go the extra mile or ten miles for us. But when we're disconnected, sometimes they'll do the exact opposite, even if it would benefit them to do what we're asking. Sure. Them.
0: Sure. So Chris. Um, I'm going to ask you to let our listeners know how they can find out more about you, how they can hire you. And then I'm going to leave you just with this last thing. Tech people work with computers for a reason. They may or may not be the best at people skills. Just saying, that's why we choose digital technology. But go ahead tell people where they can find you.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, Chris, C-H-R-S at ChrisNielsen.com And the last name's N-I-E-L-S-O-N. So chris at chrisnielson.com is my email. Feel free to reach out to me. I love to connect with people. Um, it, it makes a difference. Ask me a question. I love to answer questions. I'm really curious. So reach out. And chrisNielsen.com is the website. And um, I love that. For tech people, I encourage you. We can all change. And that's what I get. Change is so phenomenal. I say be super nice to yourself. Create a safety net in your own head <laughs> where, huh? where there, there is no fail. I laugh at the stupid things I do now. And I actually enjoy it when I was really horrifically hard on myself. Wow. And I was programmed in that way. You know, one of my favorite things is to work with super creative, intelligent people. I've got a chance to work with Microsoft, Sony, Intuit, um, different school systems. I got to work with, uh, an incredible group of people the, the other day, um, that were so laughing. I mean, one of my trainings creates a ton of laughter and, uh, I love to do that and have people learn. So it, it's magic to work with. That's my give back now. You know, my mom changed my life as much as she gave back to other people. I want to give back as much as I can and be a value in other people's lives.
0: Love that. ChrisNielsen.com We'll be back next week with another show with Chris. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to talk about questioning your inner critic next week. So we'll be back again and check out next week's episode. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques
1: on Coach.